Take your Bibles, please, and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30. Here's the key concept for today. In distress, find strength in God. 1 Samuel chapter 30. Today we come to an end of our journey through 1 Samuel. Next Sunday we'll move into our Advent theme messages. And as we come to chapter 30 of 1 Samuel, pick up the chronology. We have seen that David has been in hiding from the armies of Saul. And recently we've seen that David has embedded himself, his his, uh, men of valor and their families, all in Philistine territory. And this is actually the second time that Daniel, uh, Daniel, excuse me, David has taken refuge among the Philistines. He tried to do this back in chapter 21. He sought to hide under the care of King Achish, but the king's advisors took him aside and reminded him who David really was. He said, they said, this is the man who is the celebrated fighter, the one who killed Goliath. And David saw that things were beginning to turn against him in that conversation. And fearing for his life, he pretends to be insane. And Achish does not want an insane person around him, so has nothing to do with him. And David is back on the run in Israelite territory for a while. We looked at some of the details of his life as he was on the run, a fugitive. But this life of being a fugitive is wearing on David. It's not, it's, it's not something he can do forever. And so then in chapter 27, verse 1, David says this. It says, but David thought to himself, one of these days I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. The best thing I can do is escape into the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will give up searching for me anywhere in Israel, and I will slip out of his hand. So once again, David comes to King Achish in Philistine territory. But by this time, Things have changed. By now, the reputation is out there that Saul and David are enemies. The king of Israel is enemies with David. And King Achish assumes that since David is known to be now the enemy of Saul, he must also be the enemy of Israel. And so David is accepted into the land of the Philistines. His mighty men of valor and their families are invited to come in, and they're given uh, a territory to live, a city to live in, which is named Ziklag. And there they, there they exist for a period of time. Well, eventually, war breaks out once again between Israel and the Philistines. And a battle is looming up in the valley of Jezreel. We saw the details of what Saul was doing as that battle was looming uh, last week as he sought out the medium of Endor. But Achish, the Philistine king, is also assembling his army up north in the valley of Jezreel, and he assumes that David will fight on his side. Now, this puts David in a tight spot. As the Philistines muster their army and they are moving into position, Achish wants David by his side, but David is still a patriot for Israel. And David has been promised that he will be the future king of Israel. This is not something that he can participate in, even though he and his men actually are with the Philistine army in the valley of Jezreel, kind of 
making the motions that they're getting ready to fight. But really, there's no desire on David's part to fight against his own people. And so, thankfully, God intervenes. Once again, he intervenes on his behalf through the commanders of the Philistine army. The commanders of the Philistine army are not as convinced as King Achish that David has really yet defected. And they refuse to fight alongside of David's men if the battle is engaged. And so reluctantly, King Achish sends David and his uh, entourage, his, uh, mighty, uh, his mighty men of valor, back home to Ziklag, where they will sit out the battle that is about to be fought. And uh, this battle, we saw it being formed last week, this battle will eventually take the life of Saul's sons, and Saul himself will die by his own hand, and Israel will lose this great struggle. Everything that was predicted uh, last week will happen. But our focus today is on David and his men as they head back to Ziklag. It takes three days' march for them to get there. We're going to pick up the reading in verses 3 and 4 and then verse 6. This is what it says. When David and his men came to Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and their sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's, uh, no, we'll skip uh, verse 5, go to verse 6. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each was bitter in spirit because of his sons and his daughters, but David found strength in the Lord his God. See, while David and his men were up north at the valley of Jezreel, tragedy comes to Ziklag at the hand of the Amalekites. Now, who are the Amalekites? Basically, the Amalekites, we would consider them to be a Bedouin people. They are desert nomads who lived by attacking and raiding the more established cities of the land and taking the plunder from those attacks, and they lived off the plunder. In Exodus chapter 17, way back in the wilderness wanderings, the Amalekites attack the Israelites as they are camped in an unprovoked attack. And due to the nature of that attack, way back there, they come under the condemnation of God. God commands that one day the Amalekites will be among the people groups that will be ultimately destroyed by the armies of Israel. Now, fast forward 400 years. It still hasn't taken place. And it becomes the task of King Saul. 400 years later, after that pronouncement, Samuel comes to King Saul with a word from God. And he says, it's now time to make good on that condemnation. And we saw that uh, take place back in chapter 15. While Samuel, prompted by, by the Lord, said to Saul, go to battle against the Amalekites. But Saul disobeyed the word of the Lord. Instead of putting everything to the sword as commanded, Saul decided that he would shave off the, the profitable stuff, the, the nice things, and keep them for himself and for his men and, and spare the life of the king. And we hear now, although it wasn't clear back in chapter 15, but we hear now that also many of those people have, had escaped that battle. And it is that failure, that unwillingness of Saul to, to obey the clear command of God and then to lie about it later on that disqualifies finally Saul as king of Israel. 
And so here we are, since Saul has failed to do what God clearly told him to do back in chapter 16, the Amalekites have regrouped. And now they're back to their old ways of raiding different places and uh, getting the, the, the uh, booty from the, the warfare. And they are certainly now the enemies of Israel. And so they have raided the Israelite camp in Philistine territory, Ziklag. And after a grueling three-day march, the men of David expect to have some time off, some time of rest with their families. Instead, they find that their city is burned to the ground and all of their possessions and all of the inhabitants of that city have been carried off as captives. Now, in that moment, they do not know what we learn in a careful reading of the chapter. We learn that the Amalekites did not kill a single person. All of those wives and sons and daughters, they're all still alive. But it looks so bad as they come up to the, the uh, city of Ziklag. It looks like tragedy upon tragedy. And so overwhelmed are they about the tragedy that these mighty men of valor simply sit and weep. They weep for their loss. It seems all is lost. 600 men and their families. These men have been on the run with David for some time. These men had established Ziklag as their outpost, and they too had made raids to surrounding um, camps and civilizations and that kind of thing, thus enriching themselves. One of the people groups that they actually did raid and, and rob from were the Amalekites, back in chapter 27, verse 8. I point that out to say to you that you could say that this raid is not such a galloping shock that the Amalekites would get back at them. In fact, by not leaving a garrison of soldiers behind, by taking all of his men north potentially to fight with the Philistine, uh, on the side of the Philistines, you could see this is a tremendous failure of leadership on David's part. In fact, I would make the argument that this whole escapade of David living with the Philistines in many ways was a colossal blunder. It opened David up to all kinds of compromises. I say that to point out to you, David was not a perfect person. His judgment was not always stellar, and as the mighty men sit and weep for their families, they begin to mull that over. And their sadness turns to disappointment, and their disappointment turns to anger, and soon there's talk of doing away with David. And why do we need him to lead us if this is the result? And then the end of verse 6, it says, but David found strength in the Lord his God. David came to a point where no one was there for him to turn to, and uh, he turned to God, but there was no one else to be his strength. We need to notice that. David found strength in the Lord his God. A story is told of Martin Luther, who suffered from bouts of depression. One time, after being in a dark mood for an extended period of time, his wife Katrina came into his room. She was all dressed in black with a black veil. And Luther said to her, what has happened? Has someone died? And her answer was, yes. Evidently, God has died the way you're acting. And that tough love kind of boosted Luther out of his depression. But David does not even have someone to give him tough love, no person to help him. And he turned to God. He strengthened himself in God. And this is what we must see. This is possible for David, 
and it's possible for you. Because circumstances will come in your life that will be hard. And those circumstances may be as a result of a blind spot in your own thinking, or they may be as a result of someone else's action, and you are left suffering. People will disappoint you in this life, and hurting people hurt people. That is a a, a rule. Hurting people hurt people. His men are hurting, and in their anger, they want to hurt David. What do we do? when we are the objects or, or, or we are struggling in situations like that. During COVID, we had people in our church family who suffered, and some were disappointed in others because they felt that the other people in the midst of our church family did, did not live up to what was clearly an unrealistic expectation that some people came to have. Some people came to feel like it's the job of everybody else to strengthen me in the midst of my difficulty. I had one lady who called me, and she said, I'm leaving the church. And I said, well, why are, you, why are you leaving the church? Because, I'm quoting now, I didn't receive enough encouraging phone calls during the lockdown. She received encouraging phone calls. She received people checking up on her and, and uh, just seeing how she was doing and so forth and so on, but she didn't receive enough I thought in my mind, well, what's the magic number? I mean, how many were we off by in terms of the phone calls? And then I thought, how many phone calls did you make yourself? You see, even pastors can get snarky. (laughs) Here's the truth. If you can't find your own strength in God when times are tough, no one around you will be able to satisfy you. There will never be enough visits. There will never be enough handouts. There will never be enough encouraging phone calls. There will never be enough inspirational social media posts. There will never be enough that humans can do. And in your hurt, you will hurt others unless you are able in yourself to do what David does here, find strength in God. So how did David do it? How did he find strength in God? Don't you wish that the writer would have gone on a little longer in verse 6? David found strength in God in these three easy-to-do-at-home steps. That would have been great, but we don't have it. The verse doesn't end like that. But I believe we can make some educated guesses as to how David found strength in God because of what we know about David and what we've seen him do in the past. How do you find strength in God alone when people aren't strengthening you? Number one, I believe David did that by remembering God's faithfulness in the past. David has made his fair share of blunders, but he has had victories as well. He has heard from God. He has been assured that he will be king one day. God has been faithful to David in the past, and he has strengthened him when he faced Goliath by remembering the victories, remembering as a shepherd boy he was able to kill the lion and to protect his sheep from the bear. The memories of these past moments of strength gave strength for the present. David remembered God's blessings, but we are a forgetful people. And that is why I encourage you to keep a journal 
I really mean this very practically, very literally. Take some time once in a while to write down in a journal what God is doing in your life and the blessings that you see happening because later on, referring back to that will help you remember. And as you remember, you find strength. From time to time, I receive notes of encouragement from people. And you know what I do with those notes? I put them in a folder. And every once in a while, I glance through that folder just to remind me. Because in the times of criticisms, it helps to remember that, you know what? God has used us to to bless this person, to encourage this individual over here. The teaching has has helped a person to understand more the Word of God, and they, they have been encouraged by it. People have come to faith through the ministry. People have grown in their, in their walk with God through the ministry. Some have been called into ministry service, and they, they write and they tell me about that. It's good to remember. I've heard that it takes 10 good words to offset the emotion of one critical comment. Now, I'm not sure about the ratio, but I am sure about this, that bad news and disappointment have a a larger emotional impact. That's why we have to work to remember, to remember the blessings, and we are strengthened by God. David did that, I'm sure. Secondly, I think David prayed. Maybe he prayed a prayer like we hear him pray often in the psalm, Psalm 35. Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take up my shield and buckler. Arise and come to my aid. Or Psalm 17, may my vindication come from you. May your eyes see what is right. We often throughout the Psalms hear David praying for assistance, praying for vindication, praying for help. As he brings his needs to God, he expects God to be listening and he expects God to be responding. And you can find strength in God the same way because guess what? God is listening to your prayers in the midst of your pain. Pour out your heart to God because he says he is near to the brokenhearted. And thirdly, David preached to his own heart. This is a skill we must develop As followers of the Lord Jesus, he preached to his own heart. Listen to David preach to himself in Psalm 42, verse 5. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. I I see David standing in front of the mirror, saying that to himself. In difficult moments, when no one else is supporting him, times when he feels alone, preaching to his heart, why are you downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. He shows us the ability to remind himself what he knows to be true, to remind himself what he he needs to do, preaching to himself. We all need to cultivate that ability. You're familiar, I'm sure, with the name Corrie ten Boom. Corrie ten Boom was a Dutch Christian. Her family was active in hiding the Jews during the Nazi Holocaust there in Holland. Eventually, they were caught, and and they were all sent to concentration camps. Many of them perished in those camps. But 
Corrie ten Boon survived, and she wrote of the events of those days in the book The Hiding Place, which is her most uh, popular book, went on to become a movie. But, but she wrote many other books, and she gave lectures uh, around uh, throughout her long life. And she became an expert at preaching to her own heart in trouble. Probably started as she was in the concentration camps with no other support system, needing to find strength in God alone. And the the little pithy sayings that she preached to herself ran through her lectures and her books, and and there's just a list of them, but some of them sound like this. She says, preaching to herself, you can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. Another one, hold everything in your hands lightly, otherwise it hurts when God pries your fingers open. Or never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. But the one that's my favorite is this. She says, when I have a problem, I look at myself in the mirror and I say, this is a big problem, much too hard for God. And then I smile. Preach to yourself. Your ability to preach to your own heart is important, to communicate to yourself the things you know that are true, the things you have learned of God, to sing the songs over yourself that you have sung about the truth of the Lord. There will be times when there will be no one else to do this, and it doesn't work to sit by your phone and hope that it rings. You have to be able to strengthen yourself in God. And as you sing to yourself what you know to be true about God, what you know to be true about life, what you know to be true about salvation and hope and faith, you will find strength. But then David did something else. David decided to act. In verses 7 and 8, it says this, Then David said to Abiathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. Abiathar brought it to him, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. David is getting ready to act. You ask, what's an ephod? An ephod ephod is a close-fitting garment like a long vest that the priest would wear. And on that ephod, attached to it was a ceremonial breastplate, and in that ceremonial breastplate was the Urim and the Thummim, the two uh, objects which were used to determine God's will. Now, we're not exactly sure how this worked uh, with these objects. We're not exactly sure what they even looked like, but it it, it seems as if they were like, uh, they were used as they were cast like you would throw dice down, and it was a simple way to, to prayerfully determine God's will in a situation, kind of get a yes-no answer from the Uman and the Thuman. Now, by the time the Israelites return from the Babylonian exile, interestingly enough, this practice is totally done. They don't, they don't do this anymore, but by, in David's day, they were still doing this, seeking the Lord's guidance and answers, and, and so the answer comes. And the answer is, yes, pursue the Amalekites. And the answer is, yes, you will be successful if you do so. And David and his 600 men take off in pursuit. Unfortunately, because of the three-day march that they have just engaged in, only 400 of them are able to actually engage in the battle. 
But thankfully, eventually, they find the Amalekites, and true to the what I'll call land pirates that they actually were, they find them partying up a storm. Look at verse 16. They were scattered over the countryside, eating, drinking, and reveling because of the great amount of plunder they had taken from the land of Philistines and from Judah. So here they are. They catch them mid-party, rejoicing in all the stuff that they have, and they engage them in battle. And the battle lasts for more than 24 hours, throughout the dark of the night, all the next day, into into the evening. And the results was... Not only did he get everything back that was stolen, not only were they able to rescue all of the prisoners alive and well, but they were able to add to their own wealth because they took the plunder that the Amalekites had stolen from other people. What was lost was restored and then some. But it started as it looked like tragedy at Ziklag. Sometimes that's what it looks like. No one plans on losing the job. No one plans on the diagnosis that's so scary. No one plans on a family member dealing with a disease or with an addiction. No one plans on being betrayed by a friend. No one plans on the disaster coming. But it does. And we need to be able to do what David did. And we can do it. We can find strength in God alone. And David was strengthened by God. He developed a plan. He moved forward in that plan. And he was restored. You too can do that. And so today we come to the end of our trip through the book of 1 Samuel. Last week we saw Saul in the midst of this same situation up north. He he resorted to seeking out a medium in violation of his own law. He brought up uh, Samuel through the efforts of not really the medium, but really God using that to bring up Samuel to pronounce a last, the last doom on Saul's life. It's pronounced from the place of the dead, Samuel says, the battle will be lost, your sons will die, and you will die, you will all be with me by this time tomorrow. And that's exactly what happens in chapter 31. David will soon be king. And there'll be more battles, and there'll be more chances and more need for him to find strength in God. But God will be with him, and he proves that to be true here in Ziklag. Gladys Alward was a missionary to China. She worked among the orphans there, caring for their needs and telling them about Jesus. This was the time many decades ago when China was at war with Japan. And in 1938, that war was raging, and she had to flee with a hundred orphans in her tow over the mountains to safety, all the while she had been wounded in gunfire. And she says, I felt like Moses. And at one point in extreme distress, she actually called out out loud, but I am not Moses. And one of the little children heard her, and the orphan girl responded, of course you're not. But Jehovah is still God. Jehovah is still God. And you can find strength in Him. Call to Him. Because He is near. Let's pray together. Lord, forgive us for the times when we feel it's up to other people to strengthen us. Forgive us for the expectations that think that people all around us must minister to our need, not recognizing 
that we need to develop that ability to look to you and to you alone, for there will be alone moments in life. Lord, we pray you strengthen us. We pray that we're humble enough to realize that. And we pray, Lord, that as we give our problems to you, we have that sure and certain hope. The solution is in your hands. Help us in that way, we pray. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.